0: last time I stood up here to share a message, is that still a little bit boomy? Uh, Maybe. Um, So last time I stood up here, I had a message to bring that I'd had for months. I'd I'd written it like last year and I'd just been itching to share it, absolutely itching. Um, And I said, look, Mark, if there's a week where someone's ill, I'm here, I'm ready. I've got my word um, and so on. But this time it's been completely different. I had this date booked in and up until about two weeks ago, I still didn't know what to talk about. I know, I know the Lord knows I need a bit more time than, than you, Roger. <laughs> so originally I started preparing a message on something and I thought, you know what? It doesn't feel, it, it feels too generic. You know, when you, a bit like, you know, I could stand up and do the worship and I could just bring a bunch of songs that I've just picked out. A bit randomly and it might not necessarily what be what i feel was on god's heart for that morning and so i'd started preparing this message and i just felt like it wasn't the word of the morning and so i thought right no, we'll put that to one side and then i picked this this topic and i thought or this passage and thought am i just doing this because i like it um a bit like You know, I get Olive probably has the same thing um, when you're picking songs out. Am I picking these songs because I just really like them or because I feel like God wants us to do them? Um, But then a couple of weeks ago when Mark was preaching, he was doing his second message on humility. And there was more than one thing that came out of what he was saying that encouraged me that actually this word is on point for now. And this is something that God is happy for me to bring. So hopefully this slots into the overall message that God is speaking to us at the moment. Um, That being said, when I tell you what I'm going to talk about, or rather who I'm going to talk about, you might struggle to see how that works at the beginning. Um, So if I've already told you who I'm talking about, you're not allowed to answer this. But... (laughs) If I ask you to name one of the hero women of the Bible, who comes to your mind? Esther, Esther's a really good one, right? Maybe Ruth, Deborah, Phoebe as well. Um, Mary. Mary, yep. There's quite a few, isn't there? Lots of women who God chose to use in really remarkable ways. Um, but the one that I'm gonna talk about today, I think it sort of slips under the radar a little bit. Um, and in fact, a few people that I've mentioned this to that I'm preaching on, not, not all of them in this church, um, in fact, most of them not, um, I've said, who I'm going to talk about? They've said, who's that? And so I feel I might be making a reputation for myself of speaking about things that other people don't talk about, um, subjects, passages, characters, whatever. But then I quite like that because I want us to be as broad as we can be in our knowledge of the scripture and see what God can teach us through every bit of it. So I'm gonna read today from Judges chapter four. Okay, I think I copied this out of the NLT just to make it nice and easy to understand. Um, So let's get going. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hagayim. I need to stop picking the Old Testament, don't I? (laughs) The children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, who's not who I'm going to talk about, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver them into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you're taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went with him. Now Heba the Kenite, of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the Terebinth tree at Zainim, which is beside Kedesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagayim to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, "Up." this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And When he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man in here, you shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary." So he died, (laughs) oddly enough. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, "'Come, I will show you the man whom you seek.' And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan in the presence of the children of Israel, And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. So there we go. It's a great chapter. Jael, one of the more unlikely heroes of the Bible. But before we get really, really stuck into it, I want to just kind of prove that Jael was actually regarded as a hero. And the reason I want to do that is because there's a lot of people out there who... um, believe she's quite a problematic character in the Bible, because some of the methods that she used, as we're going to see, were not necessarily great. You know, she, she deceived him, right? Um, but I want us to see, in Judges 5, there's a, a passage known as the Song of Deborah, which recounts this same story again, but in quite poetic language. And if we look at verse first, um, 24 in that, it says this, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. Now that to me sounds pretty certain, doesn't it? I think I would be quite happy to have that um, said about me, wouldn't you? Most blessed among women is Sarah, wife of Rob, the Cheshire boy. Blessed is she among women in semi-detached houses. So I want to start by making sure we understand what's going on in this story, because there was a lot there that wasn't there, and with all of those difficult names, it gets a bit um, difficult to follow sometimes. So the Israelites have been oppressed for 20 years by the Canaanite king, and this is King Jabin. Deborah is both a prophetess, and she's the judge over Israel, and she calls this guy, Barak, to lead the charge against the Canaanite army. The Canaanite army is led by this guy called Sisera. Now, Barak, for some reason, maybe because he was afraid, I'm not sure, he responds to the word of the Lord by saying, I will only go into battle if Deborah goes with me. Now, women didn't go into battle in those days. It was a very odd thing for him to ask. Arguably, it was a wrong thing to ask. And whereas Barak had been originally God's first choice to deliver the Israelites, his reluctance to follow God's word Men that actually God used somebody else. Okay, this is another example like Mark's actually mentioned recently where he's happy to use a second choice person to bring about his plans. And it'd be easy to look at it, wouldn't it, and say, well, what's the problem? What did Barak do wrong here? All he did was ask for someone to go with him. But I think the key thing, which we'll see through all of this, it must have been Barak's heart his heart was not trusting God to bring the deliverance. He didn't have this fear of God that says, I've got to do as he's commanded. He was willing to say no. So instead, God chooses jail. Now I want us to notice something. When Barak and Deborah gather their army together, it says they went to a place called Kedesh. Okay, And then in verse 11, we read this. Now Heber, the Kenite, the children of, of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zainim, which is beside Kedesh, okay? Who's Heber? He is the husband of Jael. For some reason, he's taken himself away from his tribe where they're camped, and he's put himself in the perfect spot to be Sisera's lookout, and to warn him that the Israelite army are coming. And that seems to be what he does, because in verse 12 it says, and they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So who's they? I think it's probably Heber. And another thing that I learned in my research along the way is that the Kenites were, they were a nomadic tribe and they were mostly metal workers, and metal workers in those days were quite scarce. So when we see that there's peace between Heber and the Canaanite king, we can probably deduce that Heber and his tribe had been doing metalwork for the Canaanites. So there's a good chance that he, they've been making the weapons, they've been making the chariots that have been used to oppress the Israelites. And presumably, that's a really important arrangement for the Canaanites because it's going to have been their work, right? It's going to have paid for it, and also brought them protection from the Canaanites. And the second thing I want to say is that although Hebrew had moved his tent, that doesn't mean Jael was with him. Okay, it was normal practice for husbands and wives then to have separate tents, um, and we can see that in a couple of places in Genesis. Um, so Genesis thirty-one thirty-three says. Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Leah and Rachel were both Jacob's wives, but we can see that each of them had their own tent, and Jacob had his own. Okay, so when we see that Heba's camped out separately from the Kenites, that doesn't mean that that's where Jael is. She's probably, we don't know for sure, but she's probably back with the rest of her people in a bigger camp. So Heba, has quite possibly just ratted Barak out to, um, to Sisera. And now the armies line up against each other and battle commences. And not too surprisingly, since God is in on this, Barak and all of his men start to kill the Canaanite army. Yeah? They um, are having great success. And Sisera jumps off of his chariot and he runs away to try and find safety. And he runs out to the tent of Jael. He's every right to think that he would be safe there, doesn't he? Because the tribe have been working with him probably for some time now as the leader of the army. If these are his metal workers, they've been working quite closely. He's every right to think that he's gonna be safe there. There's peace between them and the king. And it's actually not a bad idea of Sisera's to flee there. And this is where Jael steps forward. As we want to go on, I want to try and pay attention to the way that she accomplishes this defeat. Um, So people find her problematic because she broke a lot of rules. People don't like holding her up as a hero because she used deception and things like that. Um, And the first thing that she did is she came out to meet him and encourage him into her tent. Now, let's keep in mind, she's a married woman. This was not the done thing it was highly inappropriate culturally for her to invite another man into her tent and for them to be alone together really inappropriate Um, and there's some people I tried to look into this and opinion is extremely divided as to whether she used her femininity to try and entice him and whether they actually had relations but we don't have concrete evidence of that I even looked into what the Jewish scholars say, and they're really, really divided. Some say that they did, and some say that they didn't. And all I can go on is in the text, it doesn't say for sure. So we're going to have to give her the benefit of the doubt, I think. Um, What we do know is that she had to repeatedly cover him up with a blanket. I'm not sure what we can deduce from that. But if he's come from battle, he's going to have been in armor, probably, and he's probably going to have taken all of that off when he's got into her tent. But we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Either way around, though, she shouldn't really have been alone with him in her tent. So let's look at what happens next. She makes him comfortable. He asks for water, and she gives him milk to drink. She looks after him, and she makes him feel safe. Now, the, the cultural rules of hospitality, then, they extended beyond what we are used to. Um, particularly among the nomadic tribes um, such as the Kenites because they understood that traveling was difficult um, and it was dangerous. So if someone came to you for hospitality, not only was it normal for you to offer them food, to offer them drink, but you would give them somewhere to stay and you would offer them protection as part of what you were giving them in your hospitality. So for her to start out looking like she was looking after him she was essentially saying to him, I'll look after you, I'll protect you, and then she completely betrays him by assassinating him. So she broke all of these cultural rules and these norms that her tribe lived by. It was a really massive deception and betrayal. And now think about it from her husband's point of view. Okay, The alliances between tribes are really important. The Canaanites and Sisera in particular, they were providing work, income, I would imagine, protection. Now imagine if I did this to Rob, okay? His company supply Tesco, all right? If, imagine if the boss of Tesco is having a really bad day, comes to our house looking for protection, food, whatever. I invite them in, I look after them, and then I kill them. <laughs> okay, what's he going to say about that? Is he going to be particularly pleased? He's... He's not gonna have a job anymore, is he? We're probably gonna have to move. Probably the rest of the tribe are going to be quite upset. His reputation could have been in tatters from this. I don't know, it doesn't tell us. Um, But I'm guessing that after that, this tribe probably had to move on. They probably weren't welcome with the Canaanites anymore because of her betrayal. So in, in some ways, it's a bit of a mess. But we know that Jael is used to provide this turning point in the deliverance of the children of Israel because in verse 23 it tells us, so on that day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And let's not forget she's recorded as most blessed among women in tents. But what do we make of the way she went about it? Do we approve of it? Would we have done it the same way? Would we have done it at all? And this, this is the crux of what I want us to think about today. Um, I think there's several points we can take from this story where God can speak to us and he can challenge our hearts. Because how often do we see Scripture and we see now that God chooses and uses people who we ourselves probably would not have picked? God uses imperfect people, and he hasn't really got a choice, has he? Because all of us are imperfect, but I think he still surprises us because he picks people who we judge to be too imperfect, you know? So this is the first challenge I want to bring this morning. Do we judge others because they execute things in a way that we consider to be flawed? How is it that Barak fails to find favor with God just for asking Deborah to go with him, and yet Jael is regarded as a hero when she's lured a man into her tent to be alone with her, deceived him into feeling safe, and then killed him? How does that work? And I think, like I said earlier, and what (coughs) Mark's been talking about, I think it comes back to our heart. I think so many things always come back to our heart. Her heart was yielded before God's. Barracks was not, like with Saul and David. Jael was willing to carry out his will, even if her methods might not be perfect, and even if, um, you know, she was a Gentile, but she chose to honor him. She feared God more than she feared man. So what, what about us? Are we asking God to help us see past people's actions good or bad, to their heart. You know, we, we know from the words that God looks at the heart and man looks at the outward appearance, but we can continually ask God in situations and with people to show us beyond the actions to the person's heart. Because I think otherwise we really easily fall into this sin of judgment. Um, there's a real danger that we can get offended or we can get distracted. Um, and we can miss the message, or we can miss the blessings actually God has for us. I like to try and think about myself with these things and see if I can offer up some examples. And a really silly one came to mind. Um, It means I have to share something about myself though, make myself a bit vulnerable. Nicola will confirm that this is true. And sometimes, quite often, in fact, I can be a bit of a grammar Nazi. grammar nazi um if (laughs) i was trying to find it dig it out but i I couldn't find it the thing that springs to mind is that in the depths of COVID lockdowns when things were changing we had this email come out from the local education authority about what was now going to be happening with schools and there was this really terrible grammatical error in it (laughs) and i couldn't get past it and i was like you're the people that are educating our children (laughs) But there's a real risk for me sometimes i think that i might miss an important word because a messenger accidentally wrote y-o-u-r instead of y-o-u-apostrophe-r-e okay when they wrote it down (laughs) and i allow that to grate on me and annoy me like a crooked painting on a wall (laughs) but these imperfections that people have and the way that they're bringing something about we can get so hung up on those that we miss the heart of what's really going on because God does use imperfect people doesn't he we always have to be asking him to help us see the heart and I honestly think this is just my opinion but I think that he would prefer to use someone with a good heart but imperfect execution than someone who would do an excellent job in the eyes of man but whose heart is far away from him That's why we can have someone like Jael who's held up as blessed, and yet Jesus tells us that at the judgment, there'll be people who perform these really impressive acts and miracles even, supposedly in his name, but he'll tell them, depart, I never knew you. So we need to watch how we view others. But the flip side of this should be really encouraging to us as well, because if God is in the business of using imperfect people, then your imperfections do not disqualify you from doing something great for God. I'll say it again. Your imperfections do not disqualify you from doing something great for God. It's great, isn't it? But then how often do we allow the fear of getting things not quite right stop us from even starting? Do we make excuses? Look at Moses. What did he say to God when God wanted him to do something great for him? In Exodus 4.10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, oh my God, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. (coughs) What's Moses worried about? He's worried about his own imperfections. God gives him encouragement that it's he who's made the mouth of man. It's he who will be with him, teach him what to say. But Moses still asks God to send someone else instead. Can we relate to that? I can. And then it's rather sobering what happens next because it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But that's not a position I'd want to be in, having God angry with me. Even then though, God sends Aaron with Moses to speak for him. But Aaron wasn't God's first choice, was he? Moses was. Just like Barak was his first choice. And instead, he chose to use jail. And when I turn that on myself and think about how it applies to me, I can think of a couple of examples to share. One where I've really struggled um, with letting my imperfections get in the way of me using something. And another where I feel like I've learned to do something despite my own shortcomings. Um, Now, it's a bit of a particularly personal one for me to say this this morning, but some of you might know I speak a little bit of Spanish, okay? I started learning it in year eight at school. Um, Funnily enough, we were given French in year seven, and then they added Spanish in in year eight, and I was so bad at French that they put me in the bottom set for Spanish. And I didn't even realize there were sets until they pulled me aside and said, we need to move you up, Um, because actually, for some reason, I found it much easier. And I kept going with it. I kept going and I did my A-level, mostly because, well, I enjoyed it, but because I found it easy, it was a really good, easy route to get in a good grade. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I got to university, there were some maths modules I really didn't want to do. So I did some Spanish modules to kind of help get me the credits that I needed. And I found that over and over again, God would strategically place either people or opportunities in my path so that I didn't get too rusty with it. And actually that's happened again. We've got some visitors with us this week who, um, some of you remember Becky um, has put me in touch with and um, I've been able to communicate and help them with coming to Cambridge. Um, But I did have this big problem for a really long time. For years, and I do mean years, um, I was too afraid to use what I knew in the real world I was so hyper aware that I could make a mistake and look silly. Um, Okay, it comes back to this grammar thing again, right? doesn't it? (laughs) I could mispronounce something. I could use the wrong word. I could get my verbs in the wrong tense very easily. And it meant that over and over again, I found myself in situations where I knew exactly what to say, but I could not get it out of my mouth. I would be on holiday with my parents, and I'd tell them how to ask for something. I once sent my sister into a shop telling her how to ask for stamps, and she came running out. They just replied to me all in Spanish, and I didn't understand. (laughs) And then there was one trip that I had where I felt like so much of a mute, unable to force myself to say the sentence that had come into my head, that I just ran off and cried. And I was so cross with myself, but thankfully the grace of god means that actually he hasn't he hasn't let that go he keeps putting me in situations that make me uncomfortable He he's made it so that i would end up in a situation where i was with people whose english was much worse than my spanish and it was just rude it was plain rude for me to keep speaking to them in english and it slowly he helped break down those barriers but i really know what it feels like to allow fear the fear of man to just completely shut up what God might want me to be using. So don't don't despair if if you can relate to that, because actually it is still your heart that God is after. And if you keep your heart inclined to him, then he does help us overcome our weaknesses. He has helped me with this. Um, I still find it terrifying at times, but he has helped me. And again, the word is full of people for whom he did just that, because it is the part he's looking at. But what does it look like when we step out to do something despite our our imperfections? Now for me, that's every time I lead worship. Believe it or not, there was a time where I refused to sing in front of anybody. When I was a child, I did a duet at church with a friend, I was quite small, and afterwards I overheard someone say that one of the people was out of tune. And I assumed it was me and I never sung again for years. Um, I'm really aware that my singing voice is lower than the average woman. So I'm very sort of insecure about that at times. I've been in choirs where, when the choir director shouted, men, that was my cue to sing. (laughs) That's quite hard on your sense of identity. (laughs) But, Somehow, God's brought me to this place where I know that when I stand up here and lead, even if it doesn't sound the best and I don't have the biggest talent out there and I might struggle routinely to hit any note that's even slightly high, it's my heart that qualifies me. And that's what I'm trying to bring each time I step up. Um, I'm I'm also at a point now where I've made just about every mistake you could make in a public setting, I've started things in the wrong key, in the wrong time signature, um, all of that. Um, and, And I've learned that actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that much because it is about the heart. So are you, are we letting our imperfections, our awareness of ourselves, stop us from even starting? Or are we rejoicing that despite our imperfections, God can use you to do great things? And the last thing I want to address, I feel I need to address this, just so I'm not leaving any kind of backdoor for misunderstanding is, am I saying that the end justifies the means? JL used quite contestable methods to accomplish God's will, so is it okay for us to use sinful practices to accomplish good? It should be an obvious question, but I really didn't want to leave that unasked and unanswered. Um, So if we look at the end of Romans 5, going into chapter 6, starting at verse 20 in Romans 5, it tells us, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So God sees our heart, he has grace towards our failings, but a heart that's genuinely after his heart is still seeking to do their best, yeah? still seeking to live by the spirit that's one thing we have to keep in mind when we look at the old testament these characters didn't have the holy spirit to guide them which we do now and we can ask for the spirit to guide us and we know that god's grace is there so the end doesn't justify the means but god knows when we're genuinely doing our best with what we have and i believe that jail did the best that she knew how to do in that moment to bring about God's will. She feared God more than she feared her own tribe or even her own husband. And she's remembered as blessed. She's remembered as having been instrumental in bringing about the deliverance of God's people. So in closing, let's use this story to challenge us to try and see through the imperfections of others to their heart, but also let's be challenged to step out despite what we know of our own shortcomings, because God can and will use each one of us to do important things if our hearts are yielded to him. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yep, so I'm new at this. But if you do feel that that, (laughs) that's something that's really impacted you, then... um, yeah, we'll have, we'll have people available to pray at the end. Or just stand, yeah. So I'm, so I'm really not good at this, am I? I'm very new. Do you know what, though? God's going to work despite my yeah. imperfections. <laughs> okay, so if, if you want to respond to that, if you want to say, God, help me to see past people's hearts. Sorry, yeah. past people's actions to their hearts. Help me to step out beyond my own yeah. shortcomings. That even though I know I might make this a, do this in a bit of a messy way. God, you told me to do it, and I'm going to trust you in that. If you feel like that's you, then feel free to stand. Lift your hearts before God. So, God, we thank you for your grace. Where would we be without your grace? God, I thank you that you delight in us. You delight to use us despite our imperfections, despite knowing all of our failings even better than we know them ourselves. I thank you that you still choose to use us to bring about your word, to bring about your will, and to minister to people and show love. Lord, I pray that you would touch everyone's heart here. Lord, you can see the hearts of people, and you see that far greater than you see their actions. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen people. You'd give them eyes to see what you see in people and in situations. Lord, that we would be people of wisdom, that we would be people that have an unusual wisdom in the world because we are able to see beyond the superficial. And I pray that you would give us all boldness and encouragement to step out in what you tell us. And show us that even if we're a bit messy in the process, we can still be regarded as blessed because our hearts are yielded to you and we are willing, willing to step out for you and bring about what you would desire on this earth. In Jesus' name
1: we ask. Amen. Amen. And I believe God wants us to be intentional. We need to be intentional about, about, things faith doesn't just happen and and paul brought that word this morning about when we were singing spirit break out and we have to take the first step so don't just sit on your bottom and wait for it to happen (laughs) because it won't but if you want to respond to what Sarah has been saying which is key 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 to our lives that god will use us despite our imperfections be prepared to step out be prepared to take the first step Ask him to show you what is the step that I need to take. And it might be messy. It might be a tent peg in the temple, kind of messy. <laughs> Blood all over the place, kind of messy. But God can use that mess. So, So be prepared to step out. Spirit break out. We have to take the first step. We have to be intentional about moving on in our faith, because it won't just happen but as we prepare to take that step it will happen and god will do amazing things through our lives and through your lives because that's where he desires he doesn't want people to just sit on the bottoms and watch he wants people to be involved in his purpose in his plan and that means that we need to one step and forward yeah mm-hmm. and it's painful it's hard it's difficult but he will give you grace to do it
2: Yeah. Um, I just think we, you know, our butts aren't as big as they we think they are. Okay. We always think, you know, God wants us to do this, and I'd love to do that, but there's something. We're not good enough. We're not, you know, we're not mature in the Word enough. You know, we're not faithful enough. Okay. That's just a lie. Okay. Your butt is not as big as you think it is. All right. Okay. God, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you is so much bigger than anything which is holding you back, okay? So if, that, if that's relevant to you this morning, if you think, you know, you're walking around with a big butt, okay, you're not, okay? And God doesn't see that. God sees your, your, your potential, okay? And actually what he's put in you, not what you think is inside you. And often there's a big difference between those two. Um, Roger and I will come and pray for you. Oliver will come and pray for you. If that's you this morning, all right, just step out, okay? Just step out. So that's it this morning. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much, Sarah, for that word. It was awesome. Um, Father God, um, we just thank you. We thank you that we live at this time, Lord. We thank you you've put us on this earth at this time. And thank you, Lord, that you've given each and every one of us a reason to be here. And Father, if we struggle to hear that reason sometimes, we just ask, the Holy Spirit, that you would amplify that reason to us this week, Lord. That we'd leave from here knowing exactly why you've put us here and now. And that we'd leave here with a strong sense of how much you love us, of how much you're willing to. Give to us, empower us through your spirit to accomplish what you've put us here on earth for, Father. So go in peace now and just enjoy how much he loves you and love him. Thank you, Lord. Amen.